morning scripture reading comes from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 23. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them in him, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father, we just uh, thank you for the time of worship. Thank you that uh, you are present with us. Lord, we think about the, the, uh, the power of your spirit in the scriptures and uh, all the ways he worked throughout human history that we can read about in the Bible. But we also reflect on the fact that, that he works powerfully through your scriptures in our hearts. So all that power that we read about in the scriptures is present with us here this morning. So we pray that we would feel the power of your spirit Uh, to change our lives as we look at your word here this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, A few years ago, uh, we had uh, a really massive tree uh, taken down uh, that was in front of our house. It was a a beautiful tree. Uh, It was over a hundred years old. It was one of the, the favorite things that we loved about our house when we bought it. But uh, we had discovered that the tree was slowly beginning to die and it had these massive branches hanging over our house. So we made the very hard decision and said, we've got to take this tree down uh, that was in front of our house for the safety of our house and our kids. 
I took a day off when they came and did it because it was the coolest thing ever to watch them take this huge tree down. You had guys in pulleys and they were rappelling up and down the tree, uh, cutting limbs off. I was really nervous when they were cutting the limbs off that were over the house, afraid it was going to fall on the house. But they did it expertly and it was just great fun to watch them. But what's also was really interesting was watching them, even after they took uh, the tree down, and that was a huge production, they weren't done because they then went all throughout the, the front yard of our house and began pulling out the huge root system uh, that was a part of this tree. And that was almost just as impressive as seeing the tree taken down because, of course, the root system was just as big as the tree. The roots digging into the ground, soaking in the groundwater was the very thing that made this tree uh, so healthy for over 100 years. And weirdly enough, I thought about that tree when uh, I reflected on our passage this morning. Because our passage this morning talks about this idea of being rooted. Uh, If you look at verse 7, which really becomes kind of the thesis statement of this whole passage, it uses uh, several uh, kind of really meaty words. One is this word rooted, uh, another is the word uh, established, and another is the word built up. And it conjures up these kind of images of, of meaty images of being that established and rooted and being built up. And it picks up on a, on a very powerful image, I think, that uh, you read about in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet says this. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree that is planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear When heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What the prophet Jeremiah is describing is he's not exactly describing something in nature, but he's describing a type of life. He's describing the type of life that is rooted and is established and is firm. This is someone whose life isn't characterized by lots of fears and anxieties. It's somebody's life who's, somebody whose life bears fruit. It churns up all sorts of deeds of love and sacrifice that are beautiful. It's someone whose life is abounding in in thanksgiving and gratitude. It's, It's someone whose life that when the, the heat of life comes, when the drought begins to, to threaten them, their life remains firm. You see, when Paul uh, wrote the Colossians in this beautiful letter that we've been looking at, he was concerned about what the Colossians were rooting their lives in. And I think it's a really powerful question that we all have to begin to ask ourselves at some point. What are you rooting your life in? What is the foundation that your life is built upon? Is your life producing the fruit of love because you are rooted into the very source of life? 
when the drought comes, when the heat of life comes, do you feel overcome? See, what Paul does is he makes an argument here about rooting our lives in the right things. Not in the wrong things, but rooting our life in the right things. And what he does is he compares an old way of thinking about this with a very new and powerful way of thinking about our lives and what we root them in. Effectively, what he's saying is out with the old and in with the new. You begin to see him talk about embracing the new in verses 19 or 9 uh, to verse 15. And what he argues is that the only way to truly root your life in the thing that lasts is to root your life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jeremiah's uh, illustration in the Old Testament was just a shadow. It talked about rooting our lives in God and in in the Lord and in a right relationship. But what Paul is saying is that the shadow has now become clear in the person of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you're with us last week, you'll know that we talked about this very thing. We talked about how rooting our lives in Christ introduces us to all these spiritual blessings that we can only even imagine. That it is far broader and and deeper than we could even grasp with our minds. But Paul, in these verses, begins to even expand more upon what a life rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ receives. He talks about how we were spiritually dead. We were awaiting the just condemnation that each one of us deserved because of our sins and missteps. But then he tells us that by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I can be made alive by God's power. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead raises us from the dead spiritually as well. In Christ, we're forgiven from all of our sins, not just the things that we've done in the past or the things that we wrestle with now, but even the things, the sins that we will commit in the future. All those things have been forgiven by Christ's sacrifice. The debt that we owed God, this massive debt that we owed God for our rebellion has been canceled in Christ. All the cosmic legal demands that God has placed upon us, they were all nailed to the cross along with Jesus. They were taken care of. And you and I have been made sons and daughters of the King. You might be thinking, I get that. I get that theologically. I, I understand that. I've, I've heard Paul say these words. I've grasped the gospel. But what does that mean for me practically? What does that look like for me when I go to work tomorrow or I interact with my kids or interact with, with other people in my life? What does it mean for me to root my life in the new, to root my life in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul begins to answer that very practically. He says it means that our identity ultimately becomes, is found in Jesus Christ. 
It means that he becomes the source of our satisfaction. He becomes the source of our contentment. He becomes the source of our fulfillment as human beings. And it means that we stop trying to earn his approval and the approval of everybody else that we interact with every day. It means that when the heat comes, when the droughts of life, the storms of life come, and they will, we've all been through those periods, it means that they will not overwhelm us ultimately because our lives are rooted in something that is bigger than the storm. It means for me that my circumstances don't have to determine my joy and my contentment and my satisfaction. My joy comes instead from who I am in Jesus. It means I no longer have to be crushed by my sins or my missteps. Instead, I get to be defined by who I am in Christ. It also means that my performance does not determine my value. My place in Christ determines my value. Friends, this is the very thing that we all have if we are in Christ. It is something, it really is the only thing that we can truly root our lives in. But part of embracing this, part of coming to terms with this, part of embracing the new means that we have to let go of the old. And that's what Paul talks about in the rest of our passage from verses 16 to 23. He helps us to see what it looks like to let go of the old. My wife and I had a, had a short moment to talk the other day, which doesn't happen very often in a family of four. But we had a, a, a quiet moment to talk around the house. And, and uh, sometimes we look at each other and say, we can't believe we've been together as long as we've been together. We're coming up on our 13th anniversary. We have been together for 17 years. And, you know, we were just sitting there, you know, thinking and wondering about our marriage. Uh, we'd had several kind of uh, neighbors and friends that we know that are either going through uh, divorces or separations, having a real kind of hard time in our marriage. And at one point, I just looked at Beck and I said, I think the only reason that our marriage has been successful is because God has given you a supernatural amount of patience when it comes to dealing with me. And she smiled and she winked a little bit and she said, especially when it comes to your drawers, okay? And I I can tell you what I mean by that. I have this tendency to leave drawers open and to not close drawers, okay? It's something I've, it's been a problem my whole life. It's one of those things that, that drives my wife crazy. But here what it, here's the source of me not, not, uh, not shutting my drawers around the house. It, it's, it's my own nostalgia. And I know that sounds weird. I was telling the marriage class about this last week. But uh, I, uh, just an example, I've been coaching baseball for uh, the past five years. And whenever you coach baseball, uh, they give you the coach's t-shirt, right? And uh, you wear the coach's t-shirt when you coach the teams. And then normal people, when the season is over, throw the t-shirt away. Not me. 
I get caught up in nostalgia. I get caught up in the memories and I have to keep all those t-shirts so that I can remember the teams. And what ends up happening is they get shoved in the drawer, never to be worn again, but I'm unable to part from them and I can then never shut the drawer. So what it tells me is I have a very real problem of letting go with the old. And in some ways, that was a similar problem that the Colossian church was dealing with that Paul was writing to. You see, the Colossian church was just beginning to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Their, their faith was very new to them. It was very br- vibrant and it was growing in leaps and bounds but it was also being threatened by all sorts of things. And that's why Paul was writing to them. You see, the Jews were, were coming into this new church and they were teaching them that in order to be a Christian, they had to be culturally Jewish. In order to be accepted in a relationship with Christ, they had to adopt all the Jewish cultural rituals. They needed to root their their lives in, in the performance of these Jewish rituals where they could only eat certain things at certain times and they had to be circumcised in their flesh and they had to follow all these rituals and all these rules. And Paul steps in in writing to the Colossian church and says all those things were shadows. They were all shadows And you now have the substance. You now have Christ. So stop going back to the shadows now that you have the substance. But there were other threats to this vibrant faith that that Paul talks about in this passage as well. They were tempted, these Colossians were tempted to root their faith in the worship of angels and visions that the passage talks about. It talks about their temptation to to root their faith in their asceticism. Asceticism was this interesting belief that happened uh, in church history where people believed that they had to intentionally cause themselves suffering and pain in order uh, to draw closer to Jesus Christ. And what Paul does is he, he lumps all these things together. He lumps all of them together and calls them self made religion. This is uh, the religion that is the tendency of all our human hearts. It is the religion that seeks to justify itself by performance or by ritual or even some fabricated sense of spirituality. But ultimately, it is a religion that is divorced from Jesus Christ, the substance It is a religion that is ultimately only about the things of this world and not about Christ. One of the commentators wrote this. He said, any religious tenant or philosophy of life that professes to offer forgiveness of sins, deeper knowledge, deliverance, or the finishing touches on salvation through any other means than Christ's death and resurrection is fundamentally flawed and dangerous to the spiritual health of Christians. And I would add to that quote, ultimately, all of it is empty. There is no life there. 
But what does that mean for us? We see what it means for the Colossian church. What does it mean for you and I? Well, I think it means that we need to come to terms with the fact that our hearts, just like the Colossians, are prone to self-made religion. It means that our hearts, just like theirs, are prone to root themselves in our performance rather than on, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, the default setting of our heart is this desire to earn our own worth and to earn our own significance through our own performance. That is our default setting. If you know me, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. If you know me at all, you'll know that, that one of the things uh, uh, that I always have been about as a person is, is to try to be on time as much as possible. My wife will tell you that if, I, uh, if I'm running late to something or if I'm running late to appointment, I get this kind of internal panic to me. And uh, because I like to be on time, I even like to be early to some things. And when I am on time and when I am early, I begin to start feeling really good about myself. All is right with the world when I'm on time. So we've nicknamed this around the house, my on time righteousness. Okay, the thing that makes me feel good about myself is my on-time righteousness. And you're probably sitting there and thinking, well, what's so bad about being on time? There's nothing bad about being on time. And you're right. There is nothing bad about it. What is bad is what my heart does with being on time. You see, being on time becomes for me a source of pride. It becomes a source of self-justification, of feeling good about myself. It becomes a source ultimately of my identity and my value. And sadly, it can even become a source of judgment that I use on other people. If everyone else was just on time like I am, then this world would be a better place. If everybody else respected time and organized their life the way I do, the world would be a better place. Friends, I don't know about you, but my heart can take any good thing and make it ultimate because my heart is a self-justifying factory. It's not just being on time, it's being in shape, it's eating well, it's any sort of habit in my life that isn't necessarily a bad thing. But what am I doing with those things? I'm placing my identity and my value in my performance and not in Christ. I'm trying to root my life in my performance instead of my relationship with Jesus. You see, what Paul is saying to the Colossians is he's telling them, before you met Christ, you built your life on all sorts of shaky foundations. You placed it on your performance, trying to earn your way back to God. And then you came to Christ and you realized that it's not about your performance. It's all about his grace. And then he says, now that you know that, now that you're in Christ, why are you going back to the old ways? Why are you going back to rooting your life in your performance? And the same questions we need to ask ourselves as well. 
Why are you and I so joyless in life? Why is gratitude so hard for us to come by? Why do we often struggle day in and day out to see the fruit of the gospel in our lives? Why do we find it so hard to love others? And the chances are it's because we've gone back to the old. We've gone back to rooting our lives in our performance or some sort of self-made religion. And in the end, it is never real. Because at best, all this world has to offer us is ultimately a sham. One of the commentators used this illustration. He says, it's like a mansion that looks gorgeous on the outside, but then when you go inside, it's been totally demolished. It promises much, but delivers nothing. Verse six, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Just as you received Jesus Christ by grace at that first moment where you realized you needed him, so also walk with him in grace. Friends, it is never ever about our performance and it is always about him and what he has done for us. If you and I make it about us, then the storms in life will overwhelm us, guaranteed, and we will feel no joy in this life. But if we root our lives in Christ, not just the shadow, but now the substance, if we root our lives in Christ, then nothing ultimately will overtake us or will overwhelm us. As we've said so many times before, the message of the gospel is not just the ABCs of the faith. God's grace is not just about entering the faith. It is the A to Z. It is the entire faith. So you may be sitting here wondering, what do I do? How do I respond to what Paul is saying here? How do I let go of the old, the default settings of my heart? How do I embrace the gospel? How do I do this all anew? How do I root my life in Christ? Well, the answer comes in repenting and turning to him once again in faith. In repenting of trying to root our lives and make our lives work apart from him. It means repenting of embracing all sorts of self-made religions, for kidding ourselves into thinking that it can all be about our performance. And instead, fleeing to Christ anew and afresh and accepting and believing the gospel to the very depths of our being. Let's pray.